Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. Uh, fixing the controls here. I am not a techno. Hopefully you heard our intro. Um, welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host and producer, Janine Moloff. This Sunday we have, I think, a show that's very apropos for the Times. You know, all week long, really, since the shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvedi, Texas, we have been constantly revisiting, you know, why we need police. You have people on the far left that are saying defund the police. Now, I, I want to amend that statement a bit. The term defund from the sociological study of police does not necessarily mean there would be no police and no funding for police. It is misunderstood. It, what it really means to varying degrees is that you're going to reduce funding for police because they have received quite a bit of funding for all sorts of military-grade weapons, and yet the results we're getting, they're not protecting the public. Okay? They really didn't in Buffalo. They definitely didn't in Uvedi, New York. If any, I, I'm sorry, Uvedi, Texas. If anything, those officers stood down. And it's left the nation scratching their heads. You know, why is this happening? And if you look at our, our, our advert, the headline is very controversial. It says, quote, police have no duty to, quote, serve and protect according to 2005 SCOTUS ruling, SCOTUS being the Supreme Court. So during the, the course of this talk, anytime I mention the term SCOTUS, for those of you that are not familiar with that term, that means Supreme Court of the United States. And indeed, there was a 2005 ruling. It was the opinion was written by the late Antonin Scalia. Just another reason to despise Justice Scalia, even in his afterlife, if you believe in that stuff. But let's let's look at this, okay? Because we're we're still kind of wondering, why did the police stand down on Uvedi? Why aren't they facing charges of dereliction of duty? And it goes back to not only the Supreme Court ruling, the SCOTUS ruling, but it also goes back to the reason why police were created, and it had absolutely nothing to do with that serve and protect mantra. You know, and that was a mantra that's been with us, especially in the popular imagination, I'd say since the 50s or 60s. I think it started with that old uh, television series, Dragnet, to serve and protect. And then it went on with um, One Adam 12 and all these old shows. And, you know, Hollywood did us a terrible disservice on this one because it's all pure crap. As any person from communities of color, for instance, can tell you, the police are not here to protect and serve us. That is a lie. It has always been a lie. But let's look into it. So you see the the actual little uh, introduction here. You know, recently we watched as nine, in terror as 19 elementary school babies and two teachers were murdered in cold blood. Okay? Not only did the Uvedi police stand down, but they attacked the parents that were trying to protect their own children after pleading with the police to save their babies. Okay. The monster that carried out this attack, like the monster in Buffalo, used an AR-15. And there's been a lot of talk in the media about long guns. 
And if you're like me, you hear the term long guns and you think, well, it's like a rifle, right? You know, like what you saw on TV in the old westerns, the rifleman Chuck Connors, it's a rifle that shoots one bullet, then you have to re, you know, you have to kind of pull it back again. That's not what an AR-15 is. And the AR-15, the reason it's an assault weapon, it should never be classified as a long gun, even though the gun is long because it's very misleading. The AR-15 uses high-velocity bullets. Now, why, why is that a difference? Well, you don't have to go any further than look up what trauma surgeons all over the country have, um, have described as, you know, deaths by high-velocity bullets, especially from an AR-15, they're commonly accessed. What happens with these high-velocity bullets, the bullet goes into the target, and it's just a, the whole normal bullet size, whatever that means. But then when it leaves the body, because it doesn't stay in the person, not like other bullets, it goes straight through, and as it, as it is it, as the bullet leaves the body, it leaves a hole in that person about the size of a grapefruit. Let that sink in for a minute. There were children in Ovedi, just like in Vietnam, where the AR-15 was first used, that were, their bodies not only were torn apart so much that they had to use DNA to identify these poor babies, most of these babies were decapitated their heads were blown off by this hunting tool, as the far right wants to call it. The only reason you need an assault weapon like this, if you're going to go hunting, is to hunt for humans. It is a weapon of mass destruction, That's for at least close up and personal. Make no mistake about it. So... This past Monday, a couple weeks after Ilvedi, a video was released, and it clearly showed a man, uh, another case of the police ignoring a person in crisis, okay? So kind of going back here. This man was having problems. He jumped into a lake. He wasn't supposed to, and he was drowning in an Arizona lake. And he's pleading with the police again and again, and the police stood there and did nothing. And I mean nothing. Now, a reasonable person would assume the police in each case, again, would be held legally accountable. But you'd be wrong. And so this report is going to discuss not only that 2005 Supreme Court opinion written by Scalia, the man who gave us Citizens United, and the case was Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. I'm also going to discuss the history of policing and, and to correct a lot of these misconceptions because you just need to get rid of those, those nonsense ideas. The police are not here to serve and protect everyday folk. The only people they serve and protect are the corporate and the very extreme wealthy, the billionaire class. And if you think otherwise, to put it bluntly, you tripping. So let's move into our, our basic show. And then at the end, we will have our jackass of the week. And this week is a very special jackass. So let's move on into our story. This is a piece, and it was, I've got a couple different articles here. This first one is from insider.com, uh, and the head, and it's written by Natalie, I hope I say her name correctly, Natalie Musumeci. It was written June 6th, and the headline reads, Arizona police officer told drowning man 
I'm not jumping in after you as he begged for help. Body camera transcript shows. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a minute. How, I'm not going to say the F-bomb, but how effing cold-blooded could that officer be to just disregard this man drowning? Okay, that's cold-blooded like the Nazis were cold-blooded. And again, as a Jew who lost him in the Holocaust, yes, I can say that. So this occurred in Tempe, Arizona. Just proves that <laughs> no good things happen in Arizona. So the Tempe Police Department body camera footage shows this man named Sean Bicking. And the footage shows him just moments before he jumped into this Arizona lake and drowned. Begged for help. The transcript, the, the actual police transcript, okay, it's not inside. The actual police transcript quoted in saying that, you know, quote, one officer said, I'm not jumping in after you. Okay, that's as this man is begging and clearly saying in the video that he's drowning. Okay. Um, in fact, Sean Bickings, here's the quote, said, I'm drowning, quote. Now, Bickings was 34. This was May 28th, and it occurred at the Tempe Town Lake, and there was video transcript that was released by the city, and that video transcript was reviewed by Insider.com. Now, let this sink in for a minute. This happened May 28th, and we're first talking about it this past week. This should have been big news, and it wasn't. What is big news? Let me see now. Um, we're listening to idiots like Ted Cruz talk about how the January 6th uh, committee is, is just moronic. And we're listening to, you know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene spout off whatever lunacy she spouts off, you know, because let's face it, when the good Lord was giving out gray matter, Marjorie Taylor Greene she certainly came on the short end of that stick. So, you know, once again, the officer, this is what happened. This is from their own footage, okay? Uh, the officer responded to Bickings, okay, I'm not jumping in after you, end quote. And that was minutes after another officer did instruct Bickings to head over to a pylon, okay? And that's according to the transcript. Bickings went on to say before he drowned, that is, quote, please help me, please, 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 I can't touch. Oh, God, please help me, help me. Now, to make matters worse, you kind of wonder why were these cops being so cold-blooded? Well, if Vikings had been somebody they recognized as a person of wealth, they would have saved him. I'm just going to come out and say it. You know, the, the worst ism in this country is to be poor. And this man wasn't just poor. He was part of what the city officials called, quote, an unsheltered Tempe community member. Okay? He was homeless. And he drowned because he didn't know how to swim. And you kind of wonder, okay, why did he jump into the lake to start with? Good question. Now, Andrew Ching and Police Chief Glover from Tempe called Dickey's death, quote, a tragedy. All right. They have police body camera footage. And it shows you everything up to the moment before Bickings jumped into the water. Tempe officers were called to the scene just after 5 a.m. on May 28th. Apparently, there was a dispute between Bickings and a woman who later identified herself as his wife. 
Um, they spoke to both of them, and the woman that said she was his wife said, quote, he didn't do nothing wrong. We have a bad habit of interrupting each other sometimes. So then officials, I'm reading straight from Insider now, quote, officials said Vikings climbed over a four-foot metal fence and jumped into the water as cops were running the couple's names through a database to check on the outstanding arrest warrants as part of standard procedure, uh, end quote. And this, the city did say, quote, neither were being detained for any offense. But apparently Vikings must have been worried about it because just according to this, uh, this article, seconds before he actually jumped in the water, he asked the officers that he said he was going to go for a swim, and he said, quote, I'm free to go, right? And that's according to body camera video. Now, the officers told Vikings that, you know, you can't swim in the lake. And one officer, according to the footage, says, quote, how far do you think he's going to be able to swim? End quote. Now, the video footage that was released by police to the news media was not complete. There was a disclaimer. It said, quote, due to the sensitive nature of the remaining portion of the recording, a transcript of the sensitive portion of the event is being provided for full transparency, end quote. Sounds like cover-up to me. Now, just moments after Bickings jumped in the water, an officer asked him, quote, according to video, quote, so what's your plan right now? Bickings responded, quote, I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. Now, at this point, Bickings' wife is arguing, and then finally, she, according to the transcript, she said, quote, I'm just distraught because he's drowning right in front of you and you won't help. Now, earlier in the transcript, an officer said to her, quote, if you want to help your husband, then talk to your husband, talk your husband into coming over. Now, in all fairness to the police officers, another officer said he was going to, quote, going to get the boat, end quote, some unidentified boat. Uh, the city of Tempe said the Bickings, quote, swam about 30 to 40 yards before repeatedly indicating he was in distress. It added, quote, he soon went under and did not resurface, end quote. Now, the three Tempe police officers involved who didn't lift a finger at all to help him, they were put on paid leave, and the Arizona Department of Public Safety and Scottsdale Police Department are investigating their actions. This is according to a statement released by the city uh, as, as documented by www.tempe.gov. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, what the F-bomb, okay? Now, you, I, I know you guys thought I was going to say, what the fuck? Well, well, okay, my bad. I did say it. Uh, you know, it's amazing. This is just a little sidebar, but... It's amazing that you're not supposed to say certain words on air, either radio or TV. And, and, and you know, I, I remember a long time ago, George Carlin did a, a, total, a total routine on the, what was it, 11 or so words that you're not permitted to say. And it's really obscene because our government's more worried about people saying the F-bomb than they are about the true obscenity, which is the fact that the police allowed this man to drown. Okay, that's the bottom line. If, if a cop couldn't swim, he could have gotten a big stick or something to help this man 
you know, rescue himself. Instead, they were just like, what do you think you're going to do now? I, I mean, that's insanity. But they were allowed to get away with it. So this investigation is BS. It's going to go nowhere because of that Supreme Court ruling. But once again, let's go to the ruling. Now, this is a piece from MSNBC, and it gives you the basics, okay? I'm not going to go into it in real depth. And this is a piece um, written by Jahan Jones, okay? And Jahan Jones is the readout blog writer. And in other words, readout being R-E-I-D, you know, Joy Reid on MSNBC. He's also called a futurist and multimedia producer. Excuse me. He focuses on culture and politics. And, you know, once again, this is this piece he wrote. Uh, the headline was, The Supreme Court Ruling That Suggests Police in Uvalde Won't Face Major Consequences. And they won't. And so you have to remember, this happened in 05. This is from the SCOTUS of George W. Bush, mainstream GOP. Not, so, you know, basically, this is what we're dealing with, okay? Think about that for a minute. You know, it's been a lot of stuff about, don't get me wrong, Donald Trump was the worst of the worst, no doubt about it. In my opinion, the monster of Mar-a-Lago, as I call him, he is not only white supremacist, he's a neo-Nazi, okay? And he should be incarcerated hopefully soon. But there's been this nonsense about how Trump isn't mainstream GOP, and mainstream GOP is much more reasonable. Even President Biden puts out this BS, and it's not true. George W. Bush paid way, as far as I'm concerned, for Donald Trump. And I don't care if W's besties with Michelle Obama, and, you know, they, they, they share what is a Lifesavers or Skittles or whatever candy they share. That's very nice for the two of them. And it could be that W on a personal level can be very charming. But as a president, he not only was a disgrace, but W was the president that basically pushed to legalize torture in direct violation of the Eighth Amendment. Period. It was his attorney generals, more than one, that tried to write some sort of permission slip, if you will, for torture. As far as I'm concerned, W should have not only been impeached, he should have been tried for crimes against humanity for that alone. That is unacceptable. So this came from the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of George W. Bush, the majority opinion in this case was written by Antonin Scalia. Keep in mind, Scalia is the justice that gave us Citizens United. So many bad decisions came from that lunatic. Okay? So it's an 05 opinion, and this is, it really can, it, it, it's going to be the excuse for all these cops, especially in Ulvedi and now in Tempe, to evade any sort of charges. Just listen to this. This is really damning. So this was written by Jahad Jones May 31st, and so the DOJ 
according to as documented by MSNBC on the Rachel Maddow show, said Sunday that it would investigate the botched law enforcement response. I'm reading straight from this, according to MSNBC, to you know the shootings at Ovedi, Texas. Now this sounds really lovely, doesn't it? That of course they should investigate, but nothing's going to come of it, folks. The cops are going to get away with it. We won't even be able to touch them with civil lawsuits. Somebody tried, and it and it was this case. And it's all because the Supreme Court of the conservatives on the court, those radical conservatives on the court, wrote a pass for the police. Make no mistake about it. Keep in mind, if Ovedi, if Rock Elementary School in Ovedi, Texas, had been, say, a posh elementary school for the very rich, all those cops would have shot that, all hell would have bust loose, okay? But these are little brown and tan children. And there is a racist element to Ilvady as well. We won't quite get into that today. So let's talk about this particular ruling. Now, there's been other DOJ investigations into police protocol, into what they do and don't do. Um, there was an investigation after the 2015 massacre uh, in San Bernardino, California, um, and after and it, and then also the 2016 uh, Orlando nightclub shooting at a, at a gay nightclub. What will happen is DOJ will investigate, but their hands are tied. They will offer recommendations for the police. They'll produce a report, but the police department and those officers will never be held criminally or even civilly liable for their dereliction of duty. Won't happen. And it's all because of this decision. Now, the case was Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. Okay? And apparently this, this ruling was that police departments don't actually have, quote, a constitutional obligation to protect people, end quote. Let that sink in. So here's what happened in this particular case. June 22, 1999, um, Jessica Lenahan, formerly her married name then was Gonzalez, tried for four hours. I'm sorry, tried for multiple, many hours. Um, she wanted the police to find and arrest her estranged husband. Um, Gonzalez, the husband, had kidnapped their three daughters hours earlier. The police didn't do anything, even though Lenahan obtained a restraining order against him several weeks before. So Jessica Lenahan, who was then Gonzalez, obtained a restraining order against her husband to protect herself and her three daughters. That was weeks before this happened. Gonzalez, the husband, kidnapped the three girls, She's trying desperately to get the police to rescue her daughters. Apparently, there was enough evidence on Gonzalez to get the restraining order against him. And any woman that's ever tried to get a restraining order against someone that's been abusing him knows how hard it is to get that. Okay? The police did nothing. Let that sink in. The police did nothing. 
so what happened? Well, according to another article by Amanda Marcotte in Salon, where they get they go into the actual uh, facts of the case in more detail. Apparently, Jessica Gonzalez, she got the restraining order against her ex-husband, so I stand corrected. Let me back up here, okay? This is still, we're still talking about the 2005 Supreme Court case that stated that police have no legal obligation to protect anyone except themselves. And, and that case, um, excuse me, got a lot of notes here, kind of going through them here, unfortunately. That case was um, Castle Rock v. Gonzalez, okay? So now in another article, Amanda Marcotte wrote for Salon, May 27, 2022, some more details of this. So I, I, let me kind of clarify the facts of the Gonzalez case. But I can, I, I can admit when I'm wrong. So here's what happened. In 1999, it was in Colorado, Jessica Lenahan got a restrain, uh, excuse me, was granted a restraining order against her ex-husband, Simon Gonzalez. And that's just documented by NBCNews.com. Apparently, Gonzalez had been stalking her and her four children. Okay, so she, then a few days later, Gonzalez showed up at her house and he kidnapped three of the kids, the daughters. Lenahan, Jessica Lenahan called the police for hours. They did nothing. Then finally, Simon Gonzalez showed up at the police station. He had a gun in hand. Okay, brown man with a gun. Then the cops killed him. After the cops killed him, after Gonzalez showed up at the police station, they found the three little girls, girls in the car, murdered by their father. I'm just going to take them and let that hit you. Three babies died needlessly. Jessica Lenahan sued the police. And she argued that because they ignored her pleas for help, and I would add they ignored the restraining order as well, that they had in essence violated her 14th Amendment rights to equal protection as documented by www.oyes.org cases. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> oh, boy. Give me a second here. So this case went all the way to the Supreme Court. You think, okay, it's a slam dunk, right? Three babies were murdered by their own father. It could have been stopped. She had a restraining order. And the cops did nothing. They only shot the man after he showed up at the police station with a gun. And it was after the fact, and three babies were dead. So what did the Supreme Court say? God. Jessica Lenahan lost in a 7-2 decision in 2005. Scalia wrote the opinion, and he argued about what's called the police right to discretion, and that there's, quote, no entitlement to receive protective services. Quote, Scalia, quote, that the cops were bad at their, at their job didn't change the fact that their right to discretion over the right call, lay with them, not Lanahan, end quote. 
So Scalia basically said, yeah, the cops were at fault. They didn't do their job. But sorry, Ms. Lenahan, the fact that your three daughters were brutally murdered because the cops did nothing, even though you had a restraining order, you, your ex-husband was already determined to be of a danger to himself and to his family, and he'd been stalking you, and your three babies are murdered. But guess what? We're going to protect the police officer's right to discretion over your baby's right to live. Now, Ramenda Cyrus uh, wrote for the American Prospect in a piece called Police and No Duty to Protect the Public, quote, there is a traditional belief that police are there to proactively prevent and de-escalate dangerous situations. The cops do not have a duty to protect you or anyone, end quote. Let me read that one again. Let it sink in. Ramenda Cyrus, writing for the American Prospect, wrote that there is, quote, a traditional belief that police are there to proactively prevent and de-escalate dangerous situations. But in reality, quote, the cops do not have a duty to protect you or anyone, end quote. That's what came out of this uh, 2005 decision. And you think, wow, why wasn't this in the mainstream? Well, keep in mind, let's look at this again. This piece, written by Amanda Marcotte, who's an excellent journalist, published in Salon, ran this May. This crime happened in 1999. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. The SCOTUS decided this in 2005. How did this hit the mainstream uh, media? This is really sad. There's more to it. It wasn't this case. There was another case in 2011. Um, case of of Joseph Lozito. And this was in 2011, and it was actually came to the public's attention, not on mainstream media news in 2011, but it came to the public's attention recently on a comedy website called Craft.com. I kid you not. So in 2011, this case, different case, Joseph Lozito, he was he was taking uh, looks like the subway to work in New York City. He was attacked. It's, let me go to this. He was attacked quote right in front. I'm quoting directly from it quote right in front of two police officers by a serial killer the cops were already on the lookout for end quote. This is crazy. And the killer. Well, his name was Maxine Gelman. Gelman had already murdered four people, and he just happened to pull out a knife on a train, on a subway train, and he just started stabbing Lozito just randomly. Did the police standing right there do anything? No. Well, they, I take that back. The police did do something. They watched. They watched as Lozito fought back, but they didn't do anything to help or intervene in any way. I'm not kidding. Lozito had been stabbed in his head multiple times. 
but he did disarm Gelman. Finally, when he disarmed Gelman, that's when the cops swooped in, according to the story. Okay, so Lazito basically thought the cops were derelict in their duty. Any reasonable person would think that, so he sued. And guess what? He lost. Because, again, according to, as documented by decisions.courts.states.ny.us, Police have no special, and it's in quotes, police have no, quote, special duty, end quote, to act. If this sounds crazy to you, join the club, because it certainly sounds crazy to me. Take a little drink here. So this is, it just gets crazier and crazier, doesn't it? So now we have the tragedy of Uvedi. And according, Amanda Marcotte reported that, you know, NBC News reported, quote, it gets deeper, quote, Uvedi Consolidated Independent School District has doubled its security budget in recent years, end quote. Okay, so it's not like Uvedi, Texas, their school district didn't put money into security. They put a lot of money into it, apparently. And so much so they had doubled it recently, their budget. And they had militarized it all sorts of ways. You saw on TV all the equipment they had. So where did the money go? Well, according to this article, the money went to, quote, its own police force, threat assessment teams at each school, a threat reporting system, social media monitoring software, end quote, as well as some other stuff. So Olvedi School District had their own police force. Okay? Think about that. And then you have the Ophady City Police. They also have a lot of firepower, too, and they have body armor. They have militarized equipment. Again, we all think that the police are obligated to protect and serve us. Not true. Not true. Okay? So... There was a political commentator that gave a very interesting um, take on this refusal of police, militarized police, to actually, you know, do their job. And this was also in the same article by Amanda Marcotte at Salon. This political commentator named Julian Sanchez, and Sanchez tweeted, quote, I suspect this is an underappreciated harm of police militarization. Now cops think it's not their job to protect people if it it involves some risk and they don't have a tank and a SWAT team, end quote. And you know what? I I think he's right on target. We give them more and more military weapons, and in return we see more and more dereliction of duty and cowardice. Excuse me. (laughs) So... What's the problem here? Well, part of the problem in this whole situation is the public understanding of policing versus the reality. All right? I don't know if we can do anything about the 05 ruling. I hope we can from the Supreme Court, but not with this Supreme Court. But we can pass new laws requiring the police to do their effing job. If they're not going to serve and protect and and have oversight boards that 
actually have teeth. So if, you know, teachers have to go through, you know, an evaluation and if their kids don't make sufficient growth, they're fired. Well, if the crime level doesn't go down, maybe we should fire some cops to hell with what their union says. But look at what happened in Uvalde. Again, we have this, un, this public expectation of what police are that's been fed to us by Hollywood, okay? You know, we've, we all grew up on this, especially if you're a certain age, all right? I'm about to turn 63. We all grew up with what, Adam 12 and Dragnet and all that stuff and Mannix and all these cop shows that show them as superheroes. And so we think to serve and protect. It was ingrained, but it was never the truth. And maybe, according to Amanda Marcotte, instead of treating cops like they're, quote, as she put it, untouchable superheroes, we should start treating them like public servants. That's what they're supposed to be. Keep, not only the kids that died at Obedi, think about the two adult victims, two school teachers, Ava Morales and Irma Garcia. Okay, their jobs were hard enough. And once again, according to this, according to www.kens5.com, quote, a child survivor of the shooting reports that they, the two teachers, quote, went in front of my classmates to help, to save them, end quote. Then, according to the NewYorkTimes.com, Garcia's nephew told the New York Times, quote, that the cops, quote, found her body there embracing children in her arms pretty much until her last breath, end quote. What the fuck? What is wrong with these people? I mean, this, and again, the cops did nothing. They stood down. I didn't actually need to see all the the coverage in Uvedi. I saw the cops standing out there, you know, all day long, and I thought, they're not doing anything. They're standing down, and that's a military term. When you stand down, that means you were ordered to do nothing. And... This last line of the article that Marcotte wrote is so telling. Quote, if our cops can't be as brave as our fourth grade teachers, why are we giving the cops so much more money? End quote. Let that sink in. It's really that ugly, folks. So now we know the truth. We don't know the history of policing in this country. And partially because if you were of a certain era, I graduated high school in 77, we really weren't taught it. Let's talk about it. Let's look at why the police were created. And folks, you're going to be horrified. It's not the fairy tale that Hollywood paints. So I know I've cited this article before because it's so well done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Give me a second, folks. Pollen count today is really bad. So this is a piece that was published in a journal called In These Times. It was written by Sam Mitrani. Now, Sam Mitrani, let me give you a little information about him first. I think it's important. Sam Mitrani isn't like, you know, what was it, that Waters character on Fox. This guy has actual credentials. Sam Matrani is an associate professor of history 
at the College of DuPage. He holds a PhD from the University of Illinois at Chicago in 2009 and is the author of, quote, The Rise of the Chicago Police Department, Class in Conflict, 1850 to 1894. Okay? So even though this piece does have its own slant, I'm not denying it does, the man who wrote it has real credentials. He's not a moron like Jesse Waters on Fox. Let's see what Sam, Professor Sam Matrani wrote. The headline, this was this published in 2015. The headline reads, quote, the police were created to control working class and poor people, not serve and protect. Okay. And coming from a lower income family, I know that all too well. My colleagues, especially my black colleagues, they know it all too well also. And this goes back historically. All right, we know that in the South, the, the first police forces were, and the Second Amendment was created as slave patrols to catch runaway slaves. There was no, no ethical or, or uh, respectable reason for it. It was pure garbage. So Matrani wrote then, quote, we shouldn't expect the police to be something they're not. So Matrani, even though he's on the left, he kind of takes more mainstream liberal to task because, you know, these are the people that they think being progressive is basically people like, you know, Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi, neither of which are actual progressives. They're just not. But if you, our country's been so far to the far right that there really is no center. So when Joe Biden talks about how he's trying to kind of move things to center, what utter nonsense, all right? We are so far to the extreme right that Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan would be considered leftists. Keep in mind, when you talk about the GOP, in, I think it was in 1954, uh, Eisenhower's Republican platform looked a whole hell of a lot like Bernie's in 2016 and 2020. That's how far it's gone. There is no center. Let's get rid of that nonsense. So Matrani takes him to task and says, look, a lot of liberals, they talk about police killings, especially of unarmed black men, unarmed black children, unarmed black women. I mean, let's be honest. They're hunting people of color. Let's cut through the crap. And Matrani says, you know, there's this assumption underlying all of it that the police are supposed to serve and protect, that mainstream liberals still believe this crock of BS, but it's not true. And he's saying, you know, basically normal, if we had normal relations between police and the community, community-based policing, all that stuff, somehow everything would be magically fixed, totally ignoring why the police were created in the first place. And Matrani kind of sets to bed and, and presents the truth about policing in the United States, okay? Matrani goes into it also saying that, you know, there's some people say, well, there's some bad apples, yada, yada, yada. Maybe the police weren't so racist. Okay, but some of the cops that stood down were people of color, they were Hispanic. You know, these are all good points that 
you know, again, the police often are racist, and um, we do need something that's more like community-based. But Mitrani goes on to say, quote, this liberal way of viewing the problem rests on a misunderstanding of the origins of the police and what they were created to do, end quote. He goes on to say, and I'm just going to read straight from this, quote, the police were not created to protect and serve the population. They were not created to stop crime, at least not as most people understand it. And they certainly, and they were certainly not created to promote justice. They were created to protect the new form of wage labor capitalism that emerged in the mid to late 19th century from the threat posed by that city's off, by that system's offspring, the working class, end quote. And he's telling the truth. So the late 19th century, we're talking late 1800s, going into the early, to about 1900, I know one of my grandfathers came to this country at that time period, and he worked in a sweatshop. And they were locked in. If there had been a fire, they would have all perished. Cops weren't going to stop it. If they, as a kid, if they didn't make quota, they were beaten. These were immigrants. You know, they were people that weren't considered white enough. Um, they weren't, weren't necessarily Christians, and so on and so forth. So the Matrani goes on to say, you know, before the 19th century, okay, keep in mind, I always get it confused. The 19th century is the 1800s. 20th century is the 1900s, so on. So before the 19th century, before the 1800s, there, were, there really wasn't any police force anywhere in the world other than maybe what the his soldiers you know, protected maybe certain monarchs or something. And in the northern part of the United States, the only police they had were some elected constables and sheriffs. And actually, those elected constables and sheriffs were far more accountable to their communities than police are today. So that system kind of worked. Now, in the South, according to Matrani, quote, the closest thing to a police force was the slave patrol, end quote. To the South's shame. Okay, uh, I don't really want to hear any people call in and talk about that's our heritage. Well, it's part of the truth about the United States, and it's a shameful truth. And there's something really wrong with white people that want to claim that is their heritage, like they're proud of it. Slavery and Jim Crow are nothing to be proud about. So to go on with Matrani's piece, he then explains that, you know, northern cities kept growing. And they would get all these immigrant workers, a lot of them were kids, and they were not only socially separated from the ruling class, they were physically separated. So then the wealthy, the elites, if you will, whatever you want to call them, they hired, they got, they got nervous, okay, the wealthy people. We have all these migrants coming in, you know, and we pay, you know, we pay them next to nothing in our sweatshops. But what if they start getting angry, you know, we want to make sure that we have order in these working-class neighborhoods. And so they hired hundreds, maybe thousands of armed men, uh, quote, as Mitrani puts it, quote, to impose order on the new working-class neighborhoods, end quote. So it was, and this was all under the, the um, 
excuse me, all under the uh, framework of class conflict. There was a lot of class conflict in late 19th century American cities, such as Chicago. There were major strikes and riots in the following years, 1867, 1877, 1886, and 1894. And in each one of these major strikes and riots, according to Mitrani, quote, the police attacked strikers with extreme violence, even if in 1877 and 1894 the U.S. Army played a bigger role in ultimately repressing the working class, end quote. So it was a combination of these, this new police force, if you will, and the Army basically abusing these working class people. Now, if you're going to talk about history, you have to tell the full truth. Now, looking at this again, after this happened, the police started kind of trying to present themselves as that thin blue line crap, protecting civilized, meaning the bourgeoisie, protecting, in other words, people with money from what Mitrani calls, quote, the disorder of the working class, end quote. So this is, basically these rich people hire these thugs to police these working class neighborhoods. Now, the ruling class didn't get all that they wanted. They had to give in on a few things in order to keep order. So for instance, um, local governments stopped trying uh, they, they basically ignored Sunday drinking, which was a, supposed to be bad. And they hired some immigrant police officers, according to Mitrani, especially the Irish. But in spite of those concessions, according to Mitrani, quote, businessmen organized themselves to make sure the police were increasingly isolated from democratic control and established their own hierarchies, systems of governance, and rules of behavior, end quote. As far as I'm concerned, that just makes the police like any other gang of thugs or fascist brown shirts. That's my opinion. And then, of course, then they started with the uniforms and all that stuff, and they got more weapons. Now, according to Mitrani, quote, there was never a time when the big city police neutrally enforced the law or came anywhere close to that ideal. I want to read that again. You need to really understand this, because this is central to the entire problem. Quote, according to Mitrani, quote, there was never a time when the big city police neutrally enforced, quote, the law, or came anywhere close to that ideal, end quote. If anything, the police made up crimes. So in the North, they arrested people. They arrested people mainly for being poor, or maybe not looking wide enough or not being Christian, but they created excuses such as disorderly conduct or vagrancy. Well, if you're dirt poor and you can't afford shelter, how do you avoid being vagrant then? That's nonsense. Um, basically, the police used that as an excuse to arrest anyone they didn't like, anyone that was a threat to what they called order, which means anything that upset the ruling class because they didn't want to see the ugliness that their greed caused. Now, in the South, a little different. Uh, it was just like the old slave patrols. The police enforced white supremacy, and they arrested black people, again, on nonsense charges. And the point was this was the Jim Crow South, 
And why would they arrest especially all these black men? Because once they were arrested and always convicted, they wound up incarcerated, and then they went into convict labor systems, which is a polite way of saying they enslaved them all over again. Because the 13th Amendment, contrary to what most people believe, does not totally abolish slavery. It abolishes slavery except in cases of lawful incarceration. So the Southerners found their own way around it. They arrested especially black men for nonsense. They knew they'd be convicted by an all-white jury. They'd be fed into the prison system, and they would be what they call convict labor systems. They'd be enslaved all over again. That's it. So this is still about the rich being terrified of all these workers coming into the city. That's mainly in the north and the Midwest, and it, it's then the wealthy of the south and the whites of the south being terrified of people of color. Then there was a more serious use of police, mainly as strike breakers, strike breakers, and they terrorized workers. In 1885, Chicago had a wave of strikes. And even though there were some cops that actually sympathized with the workers, that stopped quickly because the mayor decided to order them to become strike, breaker, strike breakers, excuse me, and any cop that refused to comply was immediately fired. Okay? So once again, the police were created to control those that deem not white enough, not Christian, and the poor. Make no mistake about it. And Hollywood did us a terrible disservice by creating this fairy tale that they're here to protect and serve. The only people that the police protect and serve are the very wealthy, period. And while there are some police that do good things, I have a classmate from high school who really is a hero. I'm not going to say his name or anything because so I don't want to ruin his privacy, but, you know, he saved a baby, out of, I think it was out of a burning building. That man's a hero. That man, my classmate, should actually be the chief of police. And I really respect and honor what he's done. Unfortunately, that is not the case in most instances. Furthermore, when a lot, even the good cops refuse to turn in the, the thugs in their midst, it never ends. So, Mitrani ends this article um, You know, he says, quote, we shouldn't expect the police to be something they're not. We ought to know the origins that we ought to know that origins matter and the police were created by the ruling class to control working class and poor people, not help them. And continue to play that role ever since, end quote. That's very true. Oh, oh excuse me. <clears throat> so now, give me a second here. We're getting ready. Hopefully I won't disconnect. We're getting ready for our jackass of the week. Hopefully this worked. Give me a second here, folks. I'm trying to get that um, the sound effects here. Give me a second. I know it's going to be worth it, though. Here we go. We're ready for our jackass of the week. 
give it a minute. All right, now we're ready for our Jackass of the Week report. <laughs> that felt good. Our Jackass of the Week report. All right, it looks like our our news director. Okay, never mind. All right, so now for our Jackass of the Week report. Sorry, I digressed a bit here. This was a very special Jackass. It really is. In fact, let's give him a better. This Jackass of the Week. Let me do this again here. is U.S. Senate candidate backed by Donald Trump, the monster of Mar-a-Lago, Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters in in Arizona. Why do so many bad things come from Arizona? Jeez. Masters has a really interesting background here, all right? Um, He is a venture capitalist, according to the information I have here. But he's also the president of the Teal Foundation, according to Newsweek.com. Now, the Teal Foundation is Peter Teal, you know, the tech guy from PayPal and all this stuff. Yeah, that Teal, Peter Teal. You know, it's amazing how these tech guys, these libertarians love to say that they're so for people's rights when, you know, Peter Teal has proven himself once he went over to the dark side, he's proven himself to be very much you know, a white supremacist like Trump. And Blake Masters has really pushed this great replacement theory again that's been pushed by, you know, no good SOBs like Tucker Carlson. You know, that's that far-right conspiracy. It suggests that immigrants are being brought in the U.S. to replace white voters. Now, let's say facts. When they say replace whites, They don't mean like, okay, they're going to take our place in line. What they mean is that these people of color will outnumber whites and they will replace the white power structure. Let's call it what it is. Uh, And Masters has accused the Democratic Party. Masters has made several accusations that are really put bluntly, slanderous, libelous, and defamatory. Um, he was on uh, the someplace called the Jeff Orovitz Show. Masters called Democrats light on crime. And um, to quote Masters on the show, he said, quote, what they mean by gun control is disarming you and me. I'm sure occasionally a ghost gun, a homemade firearm is used in crime, but it's pretty rare. Usually it's just a black market handgun. What they do when they ban things like ghost guns, when they ban things like pistol braces, which they're trying to do, that's all about disarming law-abiding people, end quote. Now, um, this is really, it it gets worse, okay? So let me kind of backtrack here. Uh, According to Catherine Funk, she wrote this piece on June 6th, and this is, this ran in... Let's see now. Newsweek, okay, hardly a bastion of liberal thought, in a piece called, quote, Trump-backed Senate candidate blames gun violence on black people. You know, the guy who shot up people in Buffalo, New York, wasn't black. His victims were. And the guy in Ulvedi wasn't black either. But Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters just, you know, 
blame black people, frankly, quote. Um, he goes on to say, this is what Master said on an April 11th episode of this Jeff Orovitz show, which apparently is local in Arizona. Quote, we do have a gun violence problem in this country, and it's gang violence. It's gangs. It's people in Chicago, in St. Louis, shooting each other. Very often, you know, black people, frankly, and the Democrats don't want to do anything about that, end quote. Well, first of all, <clears throat> Mr. Masters needs to correct his grammar, okay? Um, very often, you know, black people, frankly, that, that's not a sentence. But, you know, Blake Masters didn't shy away from the blatant racism of his message. Okay? Now, uh, Donald Trump, the monster of Mar-a-Lago, endorsed Masters, uh, and it's theorized that that was, quote, a retaliatory move against State Attorney General Mark Burnovich, according to Newsweek. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> That's because Burnovich apparently refused to help Trump overturn the results of the election. And Trump is quoted here saying, quote, Arizona is a state where the 2020, you know, I should try and imitate Trump. You know, it's kind of funny. Quote, Arizona is a state where the 2020 election was rigged and stolen, and a very thorough audit proved it. Blake knows that the crime of the century took place. He will expose it and also never let it happen again. It is my great honor to give Blake Masters my complete and total endorsement, end quote. God, what a jackass. Okay, I- I'm sorry. All right. You know, this is one where, seriously, we need a little more jazz noise for Donald Trump and Blake Masters. There you go, Donald Trump and Blake Masters. Our jackasses of the week on Progressive News Network on Blood Talk Radio. Way already, pray. Donald, you never sounded more eloquent. Okay, I couldn't resist. Sorry. So, anyway, that's what we have for this week. I hope you learned something from our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it widely. We don't have any sort of paywall here. So, and and it's a little more difficult because of the logarithm used by Facebook and many other social media companies. And you know what? I want to leave one more message for Blake Masters, especially for Donald Trump, the monster of Mar-a-Lago. Because, you know, this is a message, it's in language that dear, that dumb Donnie can really understand. Here you go. And good night for Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. Donald, you never sounded better. And that's our show. Good night and God bless us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.